This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. This is San Diego Decides from Voice of San Diego. I'm Nate John. More than a million people in California have already returned their mail-in ballots. That's according to the LA Times. If you're in San Diego and you're still holding on to your ballot, like it's in the mailbox and you haven't opened it yet, or it's on the kitchen counter still, this episode is going to help you with the local measures. Voice of San Diego editors Scott Lewis, Andy Keats, and Sarah Libby broke down San Diego measures A through E. They described each, what they would do, and open things up for discussion and context. I think you're going to like it. Here's Scott, Andy, and Sarah. Let's get into it. Measure A. Measure A is the property tax increase. So all of these measures about raising property taxes or school bonds, they're all about uh, raising your property tax based on how much your your value of your property is assessed. So if you have a $500,000 assessed home, that means that's the assessment of it, not the Zillow of it. The, the Zillow might be a lot higher, but based on when you bought it, it may be a lot lower. So if you have a $500,000 piece of property, this would raise it up to $22 per $100,000. So they probably won't start at $22, probably do like three nine, get up to 22. If it's up to like 20 and you have a $500,000 house, this would be a $100 property tax per year increase to fund the construction of about 7,500 homes that are restricted for people with low incomes, the lowest incomes, and they would be built using state and federal money as well. Here's the big thing about Measure A. It needs two-thirds of the vote to pass, which is a very high threshold for any measure. Yeah, and I would add in terms of sort of what this, how this would change housing politics and specifically affordable housing politics in the city of San Diego. Presently, we don't have a broad funding mechanism for low-income housing, by which I mean uh, there is not any way that we tax everyone in the city or most people in the city or some uh, generalized economic activity that we take a cut of that transaction from and use it to provide low-income housing for the betterment of the city as a whole. What we have instead is a, a system that many economists would say is, is not ideal, which is we tax the creation of new market rate housing to provide funding for new affordable housing, meaning we are technically punishing the action of building new homes in order to take some money to build uh, low-income homes. Now, that's a trade-off that uh, city leaders have decided that they're comfortable with making, uh, partially because it's a trade-off that city residents seem comfortable with making. People are, are okay with the idea of, of taxing developers of new housing, if it means providing something that they mostly like, which is affordable housing. 
but it ends up producing a relatively small amount of affordable homes over time. And it is actually getting the money to do that by punishing something that you kind of want, which is new housing production. This would have a much broader base, the base being anyone who owns property would pay into this this new system to provide housing for everyone. You know, as recently as uh, maybe seven years ago, when the city last attempted to increase a fee it charges on new commercial development that it uses to pay for affordable housing, the explicit argument made by opponents of that maneuver was, this is not a good way to pay for affordable housing. What we should do instead is uh, have a broad tax like a property tax so that everybody has a shared interest in this matter. And that's what this would do for the first time in in the city of San Diego. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering if we could zoom out really quick. And I think the one thing that might catch uh, people who are not nerds like us off guard is like the distinction between the capital A, capital H affordable housing. So this is not like to build housing that is a little bit cheaper than what's on the market right now. You know, it has a very specific strings of of who can qualify for it and and what we mean when we say affordable. That's right. And and that to further complicate that again after you've done a good job of simplifying it um <laughs> the, the that regime exists in this world where you, if you have some local source of money like this one you can then compete for state sources of grants or loans you know low interest loans that you can put together to pay to build for you know a 50 unit project or something like that. So uh, the amount of money that we collected locally would be stretched further based on state funds that would be more attainable because we have the, the bait in of the, the low of the local dollars. The only other thing I would say about this is, is on a strict like electoral politics of it is we would typically expect that a, um, a tax, a tax increase that needs 66% needs to really have a robust support campaign to be able to pass. And perhaps you guys have seen something different, but in my experience, there does not seem to be much of a campaign in favor of this measure. No. And I think, uh, yeah, let's transition now to discussion about it. So it's a tough time to raise taxes. Uh, Barbara Bree running for mayor, who used to say this was the top priority, is like, eh, I'm not sure if it's something I want to do. Yeah. Marnie Van Wilpert, Von Wilpert from running in District 1 of the city council, she's on board with it. It's it's kind of on the edge of like whether people are, are into it or not. And I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest criticisms that's come down, which I think is playing out in L.A., these units have become so hard bureaucratically and expensive to build that you don't often see an impact from them. And so you, you, you sell this as a major change that could help homelessness in your community, but it may not have any kind of dent for, for quite some time, if not, if not actually years and years. Uh, and that's because of all the bur- burdens that, and the sort of engineering that we require these new units to have. I think all of that is true. I, um, think the flip side of a tax being hard in an environment like this is that I would be hard pressed to think of something that would be easier to support as a tax. Like, you know, it's not a convention center or something where people are thinking, oh, is this the right time for this? Um, You know, the need for affordable housing is certainly quite clear to everybody. 
yeah it does it my understanding of all polling is that it has you know reached the top or near the top of the list for most people's understanding of the biggest problem in the state you, you know your 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 point about la is an interesting one because while it's true that the that this has been that la passed measures like this relatively recently as did san francisco uh and it hasn't necessarily moved the needle on stuff like their homelessness crisis uh, but it also means that by those cities passing a measure like this and us not passing a measure like this, we do not have the local money to compete for those state dollars. So not only do we not have local money to build something, we don't have local money to entice state money. So we're fa- fa- falling even further behind. And while it's true that these take a long time to build and are very expensive to build, they're also the only type of housing that is likely to ever truly reach those at the, the the lowest end of the housing spectrum. You know, you may be able to, depending on how how persuaded you are by market economics, you may be able to push the price of housing down or uh, housing affordability, you know, up for some people uh, around the median or on the you know upper middle income side of the spectrum. But there's really, you know, there's never going to be housing that's affordable to people in you know the the lowest percentile of 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 the economic spectrum unless you do do it through public spending Hmm. measure b this is uh this is one that was kind of rushed through this summer after years of languishing Uh, this was the this is the proposal to replace the existing review board of uh police uh, sort of conduct and community review with a new commission that would uh, not only have the power to independently investigate police-related misconduct and use of force, but also would have, A, their own subpoena power where they could uh, make sure people did come in and testify against their will if, if that wasn't there, uh, or get documents that they want. And then B would have uh, their own attorney so that they wouldn't have to rely on the one appointed by the San Diego City attorney. And uh, again, that was put forward. Now it has the support of the mayor, uh, the police union, several others. It seems like it's got a pretty good shot. It does. And unlike Measure A, it needs only 50 percent passage, which obviously is a considerably easier threshold to reach. Yeah, I think there couldn't be a better environment for something like this to pass. Obviously, the appetite for changes is really ripe. And this is one thing that has been pointed to of, you know, the the community or the city council gave the police budget an increase when a lot of people were clamoring for um, money to be cut. And this has been the thing that as all these other reforms have, you know, stumbled that people have pointed to and said, well, we still have this ballot measure to reform the, you know, watchdog committee. So this has been kind of like the one thing that people are counting on to really happen. I have not seen any sort of opposition campaign emerge. Maybe that'll come in at the end. I don't know. Have you guys seen anything that suggests that there's any organized opposition to this? No, I've heard, of course, you know, a lot of fundraising happening on the pro side. But no, I have not seen any opposition arise. Uh, again, the police union, I don't know if they endorsed it or mo- mostly just said that they wouldn't oppose it. But that would be where you would you would see some of that come up. And, and they helped, you know, negotiate the final version of it. So I think it's got a pretty good shot, but uh, but that's how it would work. 
Yeah, it's an interesting culmination too, just based on the last two election cycles, both in 2018 and 2016. The group that brought this measure forward brought very similar measures forward, and they were sort of stifled through uh, procedural delays in City Hall that prevented them from reaching the ballot at all. And now once this one sort of prevailed upon those potential procedural delays and reached the ballot, it looks like the the folks who uh, stood in the way of it reaching the ballot the last two times recognized that 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 was their best chance to defeat it as opposed to actually persuading voters to vote against it. Measure C. This is uh, uh, an interesting one. And just to understand, Measure C and D are on the San Diego city ballot, even though they're about the San Diego Unified School District, because the city's charter, its sort of governing document, its constitution, also is the governing charter for the San Diego Unified School District. And so to change how San Diego Unified is governed or its governance structure, you have to change the San Diego City Charter. And to change the San Diego City Charter, you have to have a vote of the San Diego City voters, even though San Diego City voters aren't all in the San Diego Unified School District's boundaries. There's parts of northern parts of the city that are in Poway and San Dieguito. And then, of course, San Isidro has its own school district. Anyway, that's what C and D are about. C is the one that would change to district-only elections. So right now, within San Diego Unified School District's uh, borders, there's sub-districts. There's five sub-districts. And when you run, like five people run for, for a school board within, uh, you know, say, District E or whatever, the two candidates with the most votes in the primary go to a runoff, but the runoff is held at large for the entire district boundary, again, which is almost the entirety of the city of San Diego. It's one of the few governments that still operates like that or with a version of at-large elections, as they're called. So everybody in the city of San Diego right now or in the San Diego Unified District uh, borders has, uh, has to vote, in on th- vote on three different school board races. And so that's why, because uh, you know, the neighborhood doesn't get to decide only. This would change that, and it would mean that uh, the primary and the runoff election are occurring just for that sub-district area. Uh, it was something they opposed and fought for a while at the San Diego Unified School District and, and some of the uh, leaders in, in local education. But then I guess it was about last year, there was kind of a sweep of Democrats, Lorena Gonzalez, a few others that changed their minds and they finally got it on the ballot. And there it is, Measure C. Yeah, I would add Monica Montgomery, uh, City Councilwoman Monica Montgomery. I thought her decision to support this measure was uh, pivotal. And I don't know, do we want to, I, I guess we should probably explain the implications of this change. What, what the 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 broadly understood electoral effects of of changing this election system would be now we can't say for sure that that's how it would play out but this is the the way the changes are are broadly understood yeah i mean i think that i'm holding in my hand a big mailer that was sent out for the three candidates that the san diego unified teachers union the san diego education association they support and you know they're pretty much the only group in the last few decades that have been willing to to fund some of these big campaigns uh, that take the to run a citywide campaign is an extraordinary expense like you need that's the crucial detail to to right. run to that many voters costs a lot of money because it's not it's not reasonable 
to be able to, I mean, I, mean, I guess you could do it, but it, it, it's quite difficult to run a grassroots campaign to the entire city of San Diego that, or, or the entire San Diego Unified School District. You can't, you can't just rely on knocking on doors and talking to your neighbors. You need some, sort, some form of mass communication and mass communication costs money. Yeah, and as Scott mentioned, the union is uh, typically the organization that funds most of these citywide campaigns, and that means that the teachers' union effectively has kind of sign-off power on who its preferred candidates are, and that carries a lot of weight, a lot more weight than it you know, might carry in other citywide contests. One point I want to add is that it's not clear to me that even if this fails, it still might eventually happen. Um, many government bodies across California, Southern California, all, all across North County have been making this change to sub-district only elections precisely because it's widely thought that this system might violate the Voting Rights Act. And um, San Diego Unified, in fact, has been sued um, for precisely mm -hmm. that reason. And so you know, even if uh, the voters don't do it this time around, uh, the courts may eventually. Right. Yeah. So um, put very, most simply, it makes it a lot easier to run for school board. And um, as Monica Montgomery said, like, you know, when she, she supported it before it was even a measure, like, I can't imagine, you know, winning if that was a requirement for me running on city council, facing the obstacles that I faced and thus, like, I, I need to apply that same reasoning. Her, her council race is a perfect example of how this would change. When she uh, mounted her grassroots campaign against then council president Myrtle Cole, who had the Democratic Party's endorsement, who had the Labor Council's endorsement, who had all these uh, high profile uh, elected official endorsements, had that race gone to all city voters, it's much more likely that the influence of those uh, that institutional support and the money that they bring with them would have been the thing that carried the day when in fact since it was the election was limited only to district 4 residents Monica Montgomery was able to prevail on the basis of her broad and strong support among her neighbors yeah and even if you know you're somebody who doesn't think the teen teachers union should be as powerful as it is there's kind of a consistency argument. This just isn't the way we elect anyone else. The entire city doesn't vote on, you know, anyone but their own city council representative. You know, people in other congressional districts don't weigh in on your member of Congress. So mm -hmm. this is just kind of strange that this one race is conducted this way. Yeah. Well, uh, so that is Measure C. It would, again, have major changes there are still some holdouts that are against it. Uh, Richard Barrera on the school board has been very outspoken. He doesn't think it should change. Uh, Barrera's uh, been uh, challenged how many times? Uh, this is his first. So there is actually somebody running against him. Uh, yeah, so never it, before uh, has he faced a competitive race, right. and he's really in favor of this system. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Measure D uh, is about San Diego Unified school district's governance. So the city of San Diego had some problems when Mayor, at the time, Bob Filner, it was unclear how they could remove him from office if, a, if an actual recall campaign was unsuccessful, but there was like a, you know, a real need to, to push somebody out like that. They came up with some pretty significant rule changes that made it so that 
if there is some consensus that this person has, you know, fallen into malfeasance so badly or, or just is, needs to be removed, there is a threshold you can meet to get to that. And I believe Measure D is, just applies those same sort of rules also to the school board and is kind of a reaction to your reporting, Andrew, on Kevin Beiser, a school board member who's still on the board. All four of his colleagues called for him to resign. He did not. And there's nothing else they can do about it. I think you're underselling Andy's role in this. It is the Andrew Keats (laughs) ballot measure of 2020. Appreciated. Thank you, fam. Yeah, this was put on the ballot uh, initially by, well, it it was instigated by uh, Councilwoman Vivian Moreno and Councilman Chris Kate jointly pushed this through the committee to eventually put it on the ballot. And it would mean essentially that the city council could greenlight its own um, recall election, basically, without the the cost, expense, and time of of collecting signatures to to force a recall. All right, Measure E. This is a biggie. This this could significantly transform a pretty large part of the city. Full disclosure, right near my house. Uh, this is the Midway Pacific Highway Community Plan area. So basically, not just the sports arena. I think that's very important to remember. We're talking about all of the land from the sports arena all the way down to that point where it connects with Pacific Highway and Old Town. That entire area, including the strip clubs, the old post office, the you know all, the the in and out, all that area would be uh, allowed, people would be allowed to build higher than 30 feet. Now, uh, 45 years ago or something, the uh, San Diego City voters passed a measure that said all land west of I-5 had, would have a 30-foot height limit. And they didn't, you know, they didn't want it to become like Miami or Hong Kong or something where there's just these big uh, skyscrapers along the waterfront. And so they said that west of I-5, they should not do that. Now, so to change that, you have to get a vote of the people. It's only happened once before in 1998 when voters allowed SeaWorld to build its its roller coasters, and those are still being built. Uh, so this is another exemption, the second one that would come through for this entire area. Now, the argument for it is like, look, you know, of all the areas, there's no views to protect here. It's a blighted area. It's It can be connected easily to transportation it should be allowed to be built higher to allow for more housing and more investment in infrastructure. Uh, And the argument against it is the argument that always comes up, which is don't touch the height limit. The height limit is sacred. Uh, And if you do this, you're going to open the floodgates for the Miamiification of the entire city, which is what we always hear when these sorts of things come up. Uh, Yeah, basically it's a a slippery slope argument that the opponents are making, that you might... You might be persuaded by the idea that Midway is not really the coast and that it, it is not in spirit of the coastal height limit to uh, exempt this or to include the, the Midway area, this this non-coastal part of, of the city in its restriction. But once you make this change, you're just weakening and the floodgates will be open and open and soon developers will come for Ocean Beach and Pacific Beach and La Jolla. But yes, you're you're right, and I think the the crucial point is while the city of San Diego is pursuing a relatively large redevelopment of sports arena, 
this vote does not just apply to that project or that location. It applies to the entire area. So all of the different uh, properties in, in Midway would now not be subject to this restriction. They would, however, still be subject to all the other city development restrictions that are already in place in Midway, um, which were outlined in a community plan update that was passed about two years ago. So there are still zoning restrictions about how many homes you can buy, build, and the, you know the percentage of, of, of building space that you can put on a given piece of land, uh, which will still functionally cap how big the buildings can be or how much development is allowed. It just won't all have to have to happen within a 30-foot building envelope. Well, that said, though, doesn't the city's plan for the sports arena rely on this passing? So it, it does apply to other areas outside of the sports arena, but particularly when we're talking about the sports arena, those plans sort of need this to happen. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, the the or the at least the plan that they put forward to win the bid, which mind As, you, is assuming not, it, it doesn't like get swallowed into the sea and whatnot. Yeah. Well, and also just, you know, that bid is not a binding agreement. There is no development contract in place that stipulates exactly what is going to be built there. It's still subject to any other changes that are necessary that they come across as they put that together. So I don't know. I got a lot of uh, press releases and (laughs) renderings about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So those are all just vague ideas that are subject to change moving forward. You know, for instance, we wrote quite a bit about a a development proposal selected to redevelop Seaport Village about five years ago. Uh, And that thing's basically back to the drawing board based on... Time well spent. Yes. (laughs) Based on unforeseen changes that they came across once the developers got a hold of the land and started doing the work of actually planning a development. So, you know, you you can... Render whatever you want, but once you start actually, you know, putting pen to paper, things can, can things can change, and that could still be the basis, the case here. That said, you're right that their proposal is envisions the 30 foot height limit going away. And if Should- you get if you get a, a mailer in support of Measure E, there's a pretty good chance it is being funded by the folks who would get that sports arena redevelopment package. That's correct. A good chance. Yeah. I was just going to say, should we change from America's finest city to you can render whatever you want? (laughs) (laughs) The center of renderings. Yes. Sung sung to the tune of uh, Hotel California. You can render anything you want, but you can never leave. Yeah. So those are the five uh, major ballot measures for the city of San Diego. I'm sorry, that's, those are the five for the city of San Diego. There's a bunch of others. Uh, most of them uh, across the region are about uh, school bond measures. Again, you can pass construction bonds uh, in California for schools at just 55% of the vote. Thus, every cycle, we see a bunch of them. So there's a few of those on, and they function the same way as that measure A, a sort of a factor of how many hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of property you own. 
and, 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 and that would be your tax increase there. And then there are a couple of major uh, ballot measures for land use proposals in Poway and in Oceanside. And uh, you can check out uh, the debate about the Oceanside one uh, on our website. Uh, all right. So that's all. That's the measures. That's Scott Lewis, Andy Keats, and Sarah Libby, Voice of San Diego editors and hosts of our weekly local news podcast. You can find a link for that in the show notes or just search Voice of San Diego in whatever app you're using now. Thanks for listening to San Diego Decides 2020. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and share us with a friend who needs help voting. I'm Nate John. Talk soon.